Chapter 33 of The Grey Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Grey Man by S. R. Crockett. Chapter 33 The Devil is a Gentleman. But William Dalrymple was not to be so easily gotten. High and low he was sought for, but no trace of him was found. A girl had seen him taking the road to Cassillis with the dust rising behind him, as was his wont. For, as I have said, he was the best runner in the school of Maybole, and in the winter fornights he kept himself in fine practice without running Rob Nickerson, the town's watchman. So on a day, since no better might be, Nell Kennedy and I rode out to Auchendrain. At first we had trysted it to go by ourselves, but Dominie Muir declared that he would come with us, and wait in the hall if ye were asked to gang Ben as he said meaningly. For they might put you in the Lassioa and never hear mare of it. But even John Muir and his son would think twice before they either sequestered or murdered the Dominie of Maybole and the clerk of the Kirk session thereof. So, though his coming with us wearied Nell and myself somewhat and hindered our discourse on the journey, it all turned out for the best in the end, as things that are bitter in the taking often do. I was, I will own, monstrously curious to see the Tower of Auchendrain and the surroundings of it, for there were strange rumours in the countryside concerning gangs of wild savage folk that sometimes camped under the trees, and tales of horrid faces which might at any moment glower at you from the dark bowl of a gnarled oak. But this fair sunshiny day we that rode saw nothing but the leaves rustling and clashing above us, and heard nothing but the soft and murmur of the dune water beneath us. Auchendrain is a place hidden among woods, set on a knoll indeed, but with trees all about it, not conspicuous and far regarding like the Newark or Culain. When first we saw it the great battlements looked pleasantly enough out of the greenery, basking as peacefully in the sun as though they had risen over the abode of some hermit or saint. We saw naught of the customary stir and bustle of an abbotted house about the mansion of Auchendrain. None ran to the office houses, none carried bundle nor drove cattle about the home parks. It was a peace like that of a Sabbath day. A black devil's Sabbath, said the dominie grimly. And in truth there was something not altogether canny about thus coming to a dead and silent house, with the sun shining hot and the broad common day all about and above. Nor even when we dismounted did any servant or retainer come forth to meet or challenge us. We did not see so much as the flutter of a banner or the gleam of a steel cap. Only there about us was the silent courtyard, with the heat of noon trembling athwart it, and the very paving-stones clean-swept like a table before the feast is set. I tied our horses to the iron ring of a looping-on-stone, which stood at the angle of the wall by the gate, thinking as I did so that if only these foot-worn steps could speak, they could tell a tale worth hearkening to of strange venturings and bloody quests. Also I loosened my sword, and I think I saw the dominie lay his hand to his hip, ere Nell and I set forward together. We went up the steps of the outside stair, and as we did so we came within hearing of a little continuous murmur of hoarse sound. The doors were all open, and I wot well that we walked softly and with our hearts in our mouths, for the silence and the strangeness of the deadly house of Auchendring daunted me more than the clash of swords or the crack of pistols. But I had Nell Kennedy by me, and I would have gone to destruction's pit-mouth for her sake, because saving my father and mother she was the only friend I had. Suddenly in our advance we came to the door of a great hall, where at the upper end was a table in the midst. The windows were narrow and high, throwing down but a dim light upon the rush-strewn floor. 
There were many servants and others sitting in the hall, and at the further end stood one who read from a book. As soon as our eyes became accustomed to the cool duskiness after the white equal glare without, I perceived that the reader was none other than John Muir himself. About him there sat all his servants and retainers, both men and women. It was the crown of my astonishment to hear that the book from which he read was the Bible, and also that as he went on he made comments like a minister expounding his morning chapter, speaking very seasonably and fitly, and eke with excellent judgment and sense. Or so at least it seemed to me, for I am not enough of a clerk to be a judge of expositions, though my father has the two great leather-bound volumes of Clerk Erasmus his paraphrases on the shelf over the mantel. But though he is fond of these himself, he never rubbed any of his liking into me. But we were hearkening to the reading of John Muir in his own hall of Auchendrain. Fill ye up, then, the measures of your fathers, somewhat in this fashion he read from his place. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues, and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, All these things shall come upon this generation. Having read this word, which, knowing what I knew, I had thought would have made him sink through the earth with the fear of condemnation, John Muir commented upon it, showing how it applied to such as refused the right gospel way and walked in devious courses, careless of God and man. Then he went on with his reading in the same clear and solemn voice, though he must perforce have seen us stand in the hall door. So soon as the reading was over, the great company of the retainers decently took their departure, walking out soberly and without hurry. Then came John Muir down from the dais with the Bible yet in his hand, and welcomed us with a condescension that was quaint and uncanny. Ye have gotten us at our devotions, Mistress Helen, and you, Master Launcelot, and Dominie Muir, my good cousin. You could not have found us better employed. Do ye believe what ye read? asked the Dominie quickly. Whatever is a means to an end, that I believe in, even as you believe in your taws and birch twigs. The reading of scripture threatenings makes quiet bairns, and so does the birch. What think ye of the blood of righteous Abel, said the Dominie, with, methought, more boldness than discretion? Will it cry from the ground, think ye? The Laird of Auchendrain looked at the little Dominie, as one might upon a fractious but entertaining bairn. It is a point much disputed. Ye had better ask our Lancelot's friend, Master Robert Bruce, Minister of Edinburgh, if perchance his head be yet upon his shoulders which saying showed me that John Muir knew more than I had given him the credit for. Then he turned to Nell. "'You would wish to see the young lady Auchendrain,' he said courteously. Nell replied coldly enough, "'I should like to see my sister.' "'I think,' said Auchendrain, with a wise-like and grave sobriety that set well on his reverend person, that she is presently in the orchard-house. "'Will you bide here, or will you go with Mistress Helen?' he asked of me. We would all go together, said Nell, if it pleasure you. So with a courteous wave of the hand he led us through stone passages and along echoing corridors till we came to a door in the wall from which we entered upon a pleasant prospect of gardens and orchards. Here again there was the same curious silence, and, as it seemed, an absence of the twitter and stir of a Scottish garden in the season of summer. We came presently to a stone building like a tomb, all overshaded with trees. This is the orchard-house of Auchendrain, he said. I believe the Lady Marjorie is within. 
The Dominie and I stayed without with John Muir, while Nell went in alone to greet her sister. We heard the faint murmur of voices, and now and then a pulsing check as of a slow smothered sob. We that were without stood with our backs to the cold, heavy white stones under the green shade, while John Muir discoursed learnedly and pleasantly of flower-beds and tulips, and the best form of dovecote tower for the supply of the table with pigeon pie. At last Nell came to the door. "'Lancelot, Marjorie wishes you to come in,' she said. Whereupon I entered and found a large room finished in oak panelling and moulded archings. Roses looked in at the windows, and a stir of pleasant coolness was all about. Marjorie was sitting by a table with many books spread upon it. My dear lady was pale and white as a lily. She leaned her head wearily on her hand, but there burned a still and unslockened fire in her eye. "'Launcelot,' she said to me, "'this is not so wide a place to walk within as the pleasance at Coulain, nor yet can we see from the garden house of Auchendrain the rough blue edges of Arran or the round haystack of Ailsa. I bade her look forward to happy days yet to come, for indeed I knew not what to say to her.' She smiled upon me wistfully and indulgently, as one does upon a prattling child. "'I thank you, Lancelot,' she said, "'but I was not born for happiness. Nevertheless, you were ever my good lad. I see you still wear my favour, but doubtless long ere this you have found another lady. Is it not so?' I told her no, blushing to have to say so in the hearing of Nell, who afterwards might flout me, or, as like as not, cast up again the old matter of Kate Allison. Then through one of the windows I saw John Muir pacing up and down the path with the dominie at the other side of the garden, so I knew that it was our time to speak. "'Ye have heard of your father's death,' said I. "'What think ye? How was it wrought, and how brought about? Can you help us to unravel it?' "'Nay,' said Marjorie, "'not at present. But in good time I shall yet clear the matter to the roots, and that before I die. Wherefore will you not come back to us at Coulain? We need you sorely,' pleaded Nell." who stood holding her sister's hand. Nay, said Marjorie, my work is not yet done at Auchendrain. It was the selfsame answer she had given when she rode away from the gate of Maybole on the day of the death of Gilbert Kennedy of Bargany. Are they cruel to you here, Marjorie? Tell me that, I said, for I saw that the old laird was approaching, and that our further time would be but short. No one of them hath laid so much as a finger upon me, said Marjorie and this at least was some comfort to carry back to the sad house of Coulain with us. So with that, little satisfied concerning the thing which we came to seek, but with somewhat more ease in our hearts for Marjorie's sake, we went back through the passages and into the great hall. While we waited there for a servant to show us forth to our horses, my eye rested upon a large, closely written volume, with the quill pen laid upon it, and inkhorn set in a hole in the desk above it. I see that my clerkly work has caught your eye, said John Muir. It is a nothing that I amuse myself with all, yet it may live longer than you or I. It is but a slight history of the mighty sept whose name you, Master Lancelot, so worthily bear, with all their branches and noble deeds at arms. For me I am but a useless old man, past the labour of fighting. Yea, I know it was your own lance that put me there. But I bear no malice, it was the fortune of war. You know me better than to suppose that John Muir bears a grudge for that shrewd thrust you dealt me on the day of the quenching of our hopes in blood by the gate of Maybole. I bowed and thanked him for his courteous words. It was indeed the gallantest charge that was ever made, said I, since that of Norman Leslie, when, on the day before Renty, he drava into the midst of sixty Spaniards with but seven Scottish lances at his tail. Sir, said I, I am no historian but a soldier. 
Yet is it a part of the training of a good fighter that he should know the great deeds which have been done in the wars before him by brave men, so that he may emulate them when he himself is launched upon the points. It is well said, Sir Squire, said Auchendrayne, bowing to me. So with a courteous farewell, in which there was to be seen no grain of hate, nor as much as a glint of the teeth or the wolf, he bade us go our ways. And above all things he cried after us, Mind your prayers. Tis a good lesson for the young to remember. End of chapter 33